Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Hallelujah, Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be in the house of God. Because today is the day that you have made and you alone are holy. We are here, Father, to be in your presence because we desire to be in your house. Because when they said that we can come to the house of the Lord, we were joyful and glad because we may do this. And we thank you for this, Father. This is the day. It is your holy day. You alone are worthy and glorious, Father. We ask this and we pray this and we surrender ourselves wholeheartedly to the one who was and is and is to come. This we pray in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And we all agree and we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Ben. Good morning, everyone. It is really wonderful and a privilege to be in the house of God. And we also just want to greet our audience, our live streaming audience, our family that is not here, but they are there, but they're still here. I couldn't help but thinking in preparation of things we say that just seems so common that we say because they sound right. And a word that they nowadays use, it is cool. Now we often say things because it just seems that the, these are the right things. And they often they are, are biblical things, godly things. And I've heard this many times where people say this, Oh Lord, we welcome you here. And it made me think. It is wrong to say such a thing. Because where are we right now? We are in God's house. How can we say in God's house, Lord, we welcome you here in your house? We are the ones as the guests coming to God's house. God is already here. It is His house. We are the ones that need to prepare ourselves to be ready to receive what God has for us in His house. When you go to someone else's house, you go there to enjoy their company. You don't thank them for being in their house. This is God's house. He says His house is a house of prayer. This is what we do. But this morning we are in God's house and we have to hear what God has plan for us. God wants to speak to us. God wants to share things to us. And we've got to open ourselves. What we ought to praise, Lord, humble us. Remove all the obstacles so that your Holy Spirit may speak to us. May we come to your house and receive what you have for us. Therefore, the words that we speak, and with reference then to the sermon title this morning, it's pretty obvious what will be spoken of this morning. But what is it that we say? When we listen and see what is being said in the world today, there are a lot of things. You know, forever man has been so fascinated, infatuated, if I can perhaps say, with the future. For as long as we can remember, man is always concerned about the future. So much so that I believe many a times we miss the now. We miss what's happening right in front of us because we focus on the future. And it's not that we should not be concerned about the future or should be focused upon this. You know, in the, in the natural world, we see, we watch the news because when somebody just says something, let's say 
an important person, a very wealthy person, let's say we just use an example, let's say Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, when they say something, we always watch what's going to happen in the markets, how is the financial markets going to react, because then you want to make plans for your future, because what one person or what one company says will have an impact in the future. We look at the weather because we want to plan what we're going to do tomorrow and the few days to come after that. We're always looking at the future. Even in the medical field, nowadays, you can determine the gender of a child months before the time. In the future, we already know what is going to happen. Man has always been concerned about the future. But the only place where the real future is spoken of and the future that we need to concern ourselves with is found in this book. Because here in the Holy Scriptures, God gives us the history before it happens and the future which is still going to happen. This is the beauty of God's word, of the, of the future. When we go to the book of, and if you really want to know what's happening in the future, we just have to go to Matthew 24 or Luke 21, similar reference. Here God tells us of the devastating things that are going to take place during the time of the tribulation. God lists in the book of Matthew 24 from verse 4 to 13, eight things that are going to happen in the times of the tribulation. And these are bad things really bad things, and in the tribulation, they will be at their fullest. And of these eight things, four of them relate to the church. Four of the eight things that are coming in the tribulation is directly impacting the church. Number one, there will be false teachers. Number two, there will be persecution of the church. Number three, there will be false prophets. Number four, people will grow cold. The scary part about all of this, these are going to reach its fullness during the tribulation, but these things are happening already in the world. All these things are visible and evident in, in, in the body of Christ. We experience it. It tells you how close it is to the rapture. And all the other four things, excluding the four things that we've mentioned about the church, those four things are happening right now as well. This is how close it is for you and I. You see, for the time that is lying ahead, for the unbeliever, it is horrendous. It is a horror show for what is lying ahead for them, not knowing what is, what is lying ahead. But for us, as the body of Christ, we have got nothing to fear. All the things that are spoken, that God said in His Word that are going to happen, there's absolutely nothing that the body of Christ, you as a believer, have to fear in any way. Nothing at all. If there's one thing that God makes abundantly clear in His Word, of, in His word is this. The church is never going to be overcome by evil. We are going to experience hard times, make no mistake. It is going to be a torrid time for the church, but in that, those who are lukewarm will be removed. The true child of God, you have to hold on to this belief. There's nothing in this Word of God that points to anything that the body of Christ is going to be overcome. In fact, the very reason why it cannot be, because it was not found by men. Even those who say that the church was found on the rock, which is Peter, it's a lie. God will never, He will never base His church on a man. Jesus Christ is that rock. And if He is the church, and if the church was birthed by Jesus Christ, nothing is going to cause the church 
to be killed, to be destroyed in any way because it is God's. The only thing that is going to happen to the church, to you and I, is we will be taken away. We will be caught up in the air. That's where we are going. We are being removed from this world. We, are, we will certainly be there when persecution comes. We will certainly be there when trials and tribulations come. That is a given, but we have a means to overcome, and we're going to get to that shortly. But I want to say to you, we are going to be taken away, and we're going to return again with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Forever we are going to be with Him. Here on earth, we are with Him already. But in, then in the physical um, sense, in seeing Him, we will be with Him when the church is taken away. So you have to understand this. For us as the believer, there's much to look forward to and not to lose heart because of the things that are coming. In fact, um, Paul writes here in Philippians 3 verses 13. What is it? We're always concerned about the future. He writes here, he says here, one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. We must be future focused because we are busy living our lives concerning our future. Our future is at stake. And in doing so, I want to get this morning just to uh, the book of Matthew chapter 17. You can turn there so long. Matthew chapter 17, and I want to read a particular scripture why I want to say to you why you can also hold on to faith, because here is the thing, with all of these things that are happening in the world right now, and it's getting worse by the day, listen, child of God, it's not going to get better. It is not going to get better concerning what's happening on the world stage. For you as the child of God, with the faith that you hold on to, for you, you will always live in the blessedness and the provision of Christ. It will make no sense to the world. They will never comprehend this or understand this. But this is, God has given us that victory and that hope to always live in the blessedness of His provision. But here is the thing. God has prepared the church. He's prepared the church so that we can be ready when these things happen, so that we will know how to act and how to live in the midst of this, not to be overcome by this. And... Philippians 2, 14, 15 out of the New Living Translation says this. What are we to do in a time such as this? How do we prepare ourselves? How do we as the church respond? Listen to what he says. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. We know what's going to happen. This world is full of crookedness and perverse people. It is there right in front of us. We see it day by day. But God says how we ought to live. In the midst of all of this, God is giving us something to hold on to. Whilst all these things are happening around us, God has purposed it for His children to live a blessed life. This world, the way that it is right now, was never how God made it to be. Just because it is the way that it is, doesn't mean what God says in His Word, how we ought to live and what we can benefit and enjoy from this world, doesn't mean this cannot be lived. God teaches us how to do this. And this is why I want to go now to Matthew 17. Two particular scriptures we're going to read. We're going to read there Matthew 17 from verse 17. And whilst you're still paging there, let me just give a quick introduction or just context of what was happening here. <clears throat> Jesus just came from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and there was this man there who brought his son, and they could not heal his son. The other nine disciples could not heal that particular son. So now Jesus 
comes and sees this after coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and listen to what he says. So let's read together there. I'm reading out of the New King James and it's Matthew 17 from verse 17. It says there, when Jesus answered them this, he says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Immediately, our Lord Jesus takes authority over the situation. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, he answers their question immediately, because of your unbelief. And then he gives them the means of how to overcome this. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now let's go to Matthew 21, just page on a few, uh, a few chapters later. And whilst you're getting there, let me give you context concerning this as well. Jesus now goes, <clears throat> pardon me, he goes now to Jerusalem, and he passes a fig tree, he curses the fig tree, and on the day after he did this, he's on his way to the temple. And there he goes and he cleans out the temple. He rebukes those people who are merchandising in the kingdom of God. This is now the following day, walking from Bethany on their way to Jerusalem again, to the, to, to, to the temple. And now we pick up there from verse 20, Matthew 21, 20. And <clears throat> verse 20, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, and saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and you do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Just those two verses. Now from this, I, I imagine you can probably deduce what we are talking about this morning. In both these two verses we read, you can say to the mountain, speak to the mountain. And now you probably have heard many sermons about mountains, moving of mountains, mountain moving faith, speak to the mountains. And I almost want to ask the question, how is that going for you? Because I think we miss fundamental things concerning what God is teaching us here. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. We have to, we have to here understand what God is saying and then understand what God is saying to us. God is saying certain things here, but then he's specifically saying things to each and every single one of us through these few, few scriptures. The first thing that God says here, or that our Lord Jesus, when he spoke, he says, say to the mountain, that word say is very, very profound. Listen to what it means. In Greek, that word say means you have to command, you have to take authority and instruct and decree over that particular mountain. That is the word say. The Greek, I mean, the Hebrew word for this is, this is the word amar. That means to take charge, to give command, to determine, and to declare. And the first time you find this in the Bible is in the book of Genesis 1, chapter 3. When our Lord, G, well, our God, when He spoke, when he, he said, He says, He says, let there be light. 
That is the power of that word say. Say means you take authority and you command over that particular and you instruct with all the authority that God has given you over that particular mountain. You see, we want to talk to a mountain. We want to even pray about the mountain. Jesus himself says, this is next level now. Stop praying about it. Stop just talking about it. Stop telling God about the mountain. What is it that you say? You have to say with all the authority that God has given you, what is it that you speak over that mountain? You see, when you say with all the authority that you have, you are backed up by every power, every authority, and all the promises of this word. The whole of God's kingdom backs you when you speak to that mountain with what it is that you need to speak over it. Why is it that we lack in all of this? You know, when we think about people getting married, the marriage officers, when they officiate a, a, a wedding, a, a marriage between a prospective husband and wife, they speak to these two people and then they say a specific formula of what these people must declare. And at the end of it, they ask the prospective husband and wife, what do you say? And their response is mostly from what I can remember or in the affirmative. I haven't come across where... I ask people, what do you say? And they say, I don't do. They normally say, I do. This is their means of affirming this. What they are saying there is that they put all the authority in the promise from here on in that they are going to marry the person that they're standing next to that. When they sign the document, it is only a confirmation of what they have already decreed by what they have said. The authority of what they have said, the power of what they have said, they have done before man, before witnesses, and before God. This is the authority and the power that we have when we speak. Why is it that someone like Smith Wigglesworth could go and raise people from the dead? What is it that he was saying? What is it that made him? Some, well, there are different accounts, obviously, but from what I've read, between 10 to 14 people in his life, he raised from the dead. How is it? What is it that he spoke over the situations? Listen to what he said. He says this, There is nothing impossible with God. All the impossibility is with us when we measure God by the limitations of our unbelief. All the possibility rests with God, all of it. Why would a person like John G. Lake, when he came to Africa, when there was the, the bubonic plague, why was he not impacted by this? It was so severe and so, and so shocking that the government sent a ship with supplies and aid for all the people that were struck by that plague. And here's a doctor that was on, this, on the ship, and he comes and he speaks to John G. Lake, and he says to him, how is it that you are not sick, that you have not caught this plague? And he explained to him that he stands on the authority of Christ. And he could see this doctor could not comprehend what he was saying. So what he did, he tells this doctor, he says, I can see you want to do an ex ex experiment on me. He says, well, let's do it. And there was a corpse lying, a dead man, and the foam was still around his mouth. And he says, just because a person is dead, the germs in that foam around the mouth is not dead. And the doctor confirmed, he said, yes, that is right. So he says, I'm gonna take that foam and put it on my hand and you will put it under the microscope and you will see that all the germs in that foam will be dead. And so he did this, and the doctor was astounded. 
He was blown away because everything happened as what John G. Lake said. And he, and he said, how is this possible? And these were the words of John G. Lake. It's because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus operates in me. Romans 8 verses 2 says this. You have to understand this. Romans 8 verses 2 says, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has defeated. Well, it says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has defeated the law of sin and death. That law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has defeated death and sin. Death and sin has got no longer any hold on us. Why is it that these men could speak? It's because when they spoke, it was the authority in the Word of God that they knew. And they had no doubt when they spoke that. All the authority and the power of God's Word was backed up when they spoke. They had no doubt. They had no unbelief concerning matters that they speak. Proverbs 18.21 says this, that death and life is in the power of the tongue. But listen to these words. Whoever love, who loves this, they will bear the fruit thereof. If you love death, you will have it. That's yours. If you don't speak life over your situations, you're going to have it. That's yours. If you're going to have life, the love for life, you will have it. It says you will bear that fruit. That fruit will be yours. I remember about a week or so ago, I was in my study room and I was reading something and my mind was not basically with the surroundings. And as I walked out of the study room, I bumped into the doorpost and my hand sort of went backwards and immediately I felt a sharp pain in my finger. I'm not going to show which finger because it'll be very uncomfortable for me to show which finger it is. But I think you understand what I'm talking about. I had instant pain and my thoughts were still about that which I was reading. And as this thing happened and I got this this, this, this sting and this pain in my finger, without even thinking, I just immediately rebuked this thing. I knew it was an attack of the devil. And I specifically said this. I said, I bind this pain in my finger. I will have no pain. And then I also said this, and there will be no stiffness in my finger. Because it has happened in a previous occasion that I prayed for the one and then I had the other without knowing that I had to pray for this. And immediately that pain went. The next morning when I came to work, I was in my office and I was doing something and suddenly I was doing something with my hand and I felt a bit of stiffness and I thought, oh, okay, well, the stiffness, it's not a great stiffness, but there's still a measure of stiffness. And I thought, okay, well, in all of it, I will settle for that because there's no pain in the finger, which I'm very glad about, but there's this, this mild stiffness. And I, as I was sitting there, literally not even a minute, I, I thought about this. I said, no, this is not what I prayed for. I want what I prayed for. I want that. I've already got answered there was no pain in the finger, but I didn't want stiffness. And immediately I addressed that thing again. And I tell you, it wasn't until two days ago that I thought about it again. But all the stiffness went. I tell you, when you say and you speak God's word, God says, yeah, you have to speak over that particular situation. You have to speak to that mountain. Listen, it is not praying. Praying is one part of it. But when you come to this place, it is speaking with everything in God's word over that particular mountain. It has got no other alternative but to move. That's the power of God's word. The second point out of this, God says, say to 
this mountain. We often think it is a mountain. God is very specific here. This word in the Greek speaks very specifically about a mountain. When Jesus himself was speaking here in Matthew 17, that specific mountain that he was addressing here, first of all, he was referring to the Mount of Transfiguration in the natural. But in the spiritual, he was talking about what was the mountain before him? That was this demon here, this demon of deaf and dumbness. In Matthew 21, he was speaking to a fig tree in the natural. But what was, what was the mountain that he had to address here? It was the fruitlessness of Israel. And later it would have reference to the church. Jesus himself spoke very specifically over which mountain it is. You see, sometimes we go around and we are like shotgun. We call it here and there. We go to work and say, my situation is bad because my boss is rude to me. And I say, Lord, you must either take him out or move me to another department. You are all over. You are not specifically addressing the mountain before you. What is it that thing that you need to address? You have to know what it is. When, when um, Stephen, in the book of Acts 7, when Stephen goes and he addresses the Jewish council and all the Jewish people, that whole chapter, you must go and read it. It's phenomenal how he addresses them all, fearless in the sight of all of them, explaining to them what it is that he had experienced, because the Holy Spirit was upon him. But right in front of him, in front of him said all the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, and the Pharisees, the learned men who knew the law probably better than he knew. And there from verse 50 onwards, he says this. He could see when he spoke to them, they did not change. They did not take what he was saying. And he said to them, you are a stiff-necked people. You are uncircumcised in your ears and in your heart. What was he saying? He was addressing this specific mountain. You are stubborn. It is that spirit of stubbornness that makes you refuse to receive what our Lord Jesus Christ had given you. You have to take that. In the end, when he was standing there, look at this. They were stoning him and he was standing there. And whilst he was busy dying, he looked up to the heavens and he saw Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Even whilst he was still alive. And interestingly enough, it is the only place in Scripture where it says he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Everywhere else in Scripture it says Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is it? Why is it that in this occasion, Jesus was standing? I'm not going to tell you, because you have to come to Bible school to get that answer. I'm going to throw another one in there just for the fun. We all celebrate or commemorate, should I rather say, Good Friday, where now Jesus was crucified. And on the Sunday, the Word of God says, the first day Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I'm not the brightest in, in, in maths, but if I do mathematics here, and it says, on the first day Jesus rose from the dead, and that is the Sunday, and I go back, because the Word of God says three days and three nights, he was, he was in the, the belly of the earth. So three days from Sunday, one day, Saturday, second day, Friday, third day, Thursday. So how did Jesus die on the Friday. Why is it that we say that he was crucified on the Friday? Is that even correct? Come to the Bible school and we'll tell you. You'll get that answer there. Last one, just for the fun, just for the fun. Jonah, when he was in the belly of the fish, did Jonah physically die? Well, Jesus himself said, I only give you one sign. Of all the signs that the, that the, well, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes wanted, he said, I only give you this sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Jesus died and went to the earth. Did Jonah die when he go into the fish? He 
Come to the Bible school and you're going to find out the answer. I want to go to the, to the third point here. Jesus now says here, when you speak to this specific mountain, you have to say what must be done. We often leave it up to God. What must be. He said, Lord, I've got a problem. My neighbor is noisy. Take care of it. Or, or, or just, just let the electricity go out now because then his wife, Hi-Fi, will, will stop playing music. Jesus in Matthew 17, what did he say? He said, the mountain must move from here to there. That was the physical thing. What was the spiritual thing that he said? He said what must be done. He said, that foul spirit, come out of this boy and never enter him again. He told that mountain to move and how it must move. In Matthew 21, what did he say to the tree? You will die and never bear fruit again. And in the natural, he said, this mountain, you will lift it up and throw it into the sea. You see, we come to God and we pray over a situation. Then we want to say, Lord, you must now do this. I want you to do this. Let me tell you, God doesn't need you to instruct him. All he wants you to do, say to the mountain what must be done and he will do the moving. It's not up to us to do the moving. Christ alone gave us that authority that we can declare what must be said, but the Father, through His authority, He is the one who moves the mountains, not you and me. Our faith connected to God's promises makes action take place. And how do I know that God moves mountains? Job 9 verses 5 says this, we, or sorry, God, He removes the mountains and they do not know when He overturns them. That's what God does. He is the one who moves the mountains. These are the natural things in the natural that God speaks, but God always leaves a spiritual principle. In Matthew 17, God says this, take care of the spiritual realm first. That is where the problem is. What did he do? He didn't address the boy or the father for their lack of belief or for their sins. He went straight for Satan. He went straight for that spirit of deafness and dumbness. He attacked that. And when there was victory in that realm, it manifested itself in the natural. For your own life, what are the spiritual matters in your life that you are not dealing with at the moment? Is there unrepentant sin? Why is your mountain not moving? Always go and do your spot check selfies. What have I not dealt with? Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness in my life? Do I gossip? Is there sin that I know that I'm doing that I'm not repenting of or changing? Because there is the place that you take that authority in the spirit. You have to take authority in that place because then it will manifest itself in the natural. And the second spiritual principle that God teaches here is take care of your own spiritual walk. In Matthew 21 now, we read here, this is the, the, the nation, the land of Israel. But Jesus curses them and say they will bear no fruit. That means in your own walk, where is it that you are not bearing fruit? Consider those areas why you're not bearing fruit. Are you lukewarm? Are you backslidden? How is your prayer life? How is your reading out of God's word? How is the fellowship of the saints? How is your tithing? Because all these things are biblical principles that we must apply in our lives. That frees us from not being in bondage. And through that, when we do all these things, the fruit will be obvious because the Lord says you will know them by their fruit. The last thing, the beautiful thing that I want to say, how God just brings this together, why these two scriptures are so interlinked. The first one in Matthew 17, he talks about this. 
as a believer, there's a place that you need to move from a seed and to mature as a Christian. Because here he talks, if you have faith like a mustard seed, a seed must grow in becoming a tree. In Matthew 21, Jesus now speaks like the fig tree. We had the mustard seed and here's the fig tree. That now talks of a mature person. But this mature person that he was talking about, the mature, the mature so-called believer was dead in his works. Where is the fruit? You have to mature as a Christian. And then it must be visible that there's fruit in your life. That is why these two are interlinked. Lastly, I want to leave you with this. I ask this question. I like asking questions. What are the mountains that we are facing in our nation? What are the mountains that you are facing in your life? You know, there's enough that we can list of all the challenges and the troubles that we have in, in our nation. We look at the inflation rate, the petrol price, the crime in our nation, the whole debacle about ESCOM. These are the mountains that we are facing in South Africa. My question is, what are we saying about these mountains? We become so consumed about all these things and we become so emotionally invested because we address people in all of this. Let me tell you, it is not the president, it is not government, it's not a political party that we must concern ourselves with. These things anger us and, re and, and result in us acting emotionally about this. This is why when we pray on a Saturday morning, we address these things in the spirit first. We say to those mountains, what sits behind the corruption in this nation? What sits behind ESCOM? It is that spirit of sabotage, that spirit of vandalism. That is what we're going for. I don't care about the people who brings these things upon our nation. They are not the ones who are going to make this nation better in any way. We have to... Fight the battle in the spirit first. That is where we speak to that mountain. When we address the mountain in the spirit, it must come down because everything in God's word proves that those mountains will come down. Where is your prayer directed? Where is your thoughts directed? Are the mountains in your life consuming you so much because you are emotionally invested in it instead of giving it to God, speaking over it, what God must do over it that He must move. Mountains must move and mountains must be lifted up and cast into the sea for the body of Christ if you are fruitless Jesus was referring here if you don't bear fruit even in this season you will be lifted up and cast away into that fire of lake or that lake of fire fire will be your destiny what are the mountains that you have in your life and what is it that you are decreeing what is it that you speak with authority I know what I'm speaking I speak life into my situations only because it's Christ. You and I have everything in God's Word to speak. You will never lack. You are not supposed to lack. When moments of lack come, that is not your destiny. That's an attempt of the devil to discourage you. But what is it that you are decreeing over that mountain? Are you like a Goliath? You're facing a Goliath in front of you. The, the, the death, for instance, or the risk of, of, of going to die. Are you facing like Sarah, the, that mountain of barrenness? Barrenness perhaps in the womb, barrenness in your finances, or barrenness in your spiritual walk. All of these things, what are you decreeing? I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying for my life. But what is it that you're saying for your life? God's Word says that we reign in this life through Christ. We are supposed to reign. We are supposed to reign. In other words, we are there to rule and to govern because of what's given us. I close off with a scripture to summarize it all. 
found in Job 22, 28. It says here, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established for you and the light shall shine upon every one of your ways. Mountains move when you decree things, when you take that authority and take what is rightfully yours. This world is going to change and it's going to become worse. But God says, there are only mountains and you, within you, and you will lay over the internet, within you lies all the authority to command those mountains to move. Do what you do and allow God to do what He does best. You have got all the answers and it's in God's word. Speak life and love it and you will bear that fruit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's give the God a praise offering. Amen. Amen. Yes. Let's give God a proper praise offering. Amen. Amen. Let's raise our hands to the heavens. Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the keeper of time, that you knew our end from our beginning, that there's nothing in this world that is going to surprise you. Even our own lives, you know it is marked before us, the end and the beginning. Lord, we surrender this to you and we walk by faith as we declare in this day, Lord, that which is ours we shall obtain and receive in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And that whatever mountain presents itself before you, Father God, today, from this day onwards, we will look at the mountains just as opportunities, Lord, to see how you do what you do best. We connect our faith to those mountains and we declare by faith in Jesus Christ, no mountain will overcome us. Every mountain will move and shake by the holy name of Jesus Christ because it is written that no weapon formed against us shall prosper and that every tongue that rises against us in judgment, we will condemn because we are the heritage of God and Christ's righteousness reigns in us. Blessed be your holy name. Bless these people now, Father, as they go their way. Take care of them. Send your holy angels charge concerning them. And in your house, Father, we say thank you for the presence and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. May the name of Jesus Christ always be spoken, be preached, and be lifted up high. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. God the Father and the Holy Spirit and all of God's people say For more teachings like this and other material please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com